2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: We want you to hear Christy's thoughts on the big things, like the strength she got from her family and how she wanted to help others in her situation, and the small things, like the joy of spending a sunny afternoon listening to music on her patio.
2: Here are Carrie and Christy.
1: Thank you so much. It's great
0: to be here. We're very excited to talk to you today. And the article is just really wonderful. And I hope everyone has the chance to go and read it. But you were with WebMD for more than two decades. So tell us a little bit about what you did while you were there.
1: Sure. Yeah, I actually started as the deputy manager of our news team and i continued to focus on editorial content and fast forward 20 years our editorial organization became much larger as new platforms emerged and i ran the editorial organization so that included the magazine I was collaborating on the launch of this podcast. Yes, <laughs> um, and it's turned out to be so wonderful. I was I was there when you know we were desktop only to you know, switching over to mobile and all of the new voice technology and social media and all the you know things that have emerged in the digital landscape over the past twenty years.
0: That's a good amount of time to see some major changes in how people <laughs> yeah. get their health information. So, <laughs> so I'm wondering if you'd tell us what your reaction was when you got your breast cancer diagnosis, in terms of the level of understanding that you had about what it meant for your future mm-hmm. health.
1: Well, when I got my diagnosis, I was absolutely shocked. I knew the risk factors for cancer. I didn't believe I exhibited any of them in my lifestyle. I was healthy, I was primarily vegetarian, I exercised every day, I meditated, and uh, it just, I really had no family history of this type of breast cancer on my maternal side, which is where you can inherit that risk. And it just came out of nowhere. It was just astounding. And because I had worked at WebMD and was still working there at the time, I knew very well what triple negative breast cancer was. And I knew it was a very aggressive type of cancer. And I was really plagued with fear and, and panic about what was going to happen to me.
0: What were some of the earliest symptoms that you experienced? What was it that made you go see your doctor?
1: The first thing that made me go see my doctor is that I had a lump in what I thought was just a swollen lymph node. And I went to go see my primary care physician and he said, you know, I think this is the result of an infection. I had had an infection about less than two months before that. And it was an infection that resulted from a root canal and it was a pretty ugly infection and he said I think this is maybe you know a recent infection so it all kind of made sense and he said I'm just going to give you some prescription ibuprofen and let's see what happens. And if it goes away, then, you know, I think we can be pretty assured that's all it is. And so I said, okay. And he gave me the ibuprofen and in a few days the lump was gone. and, And I went on with my life. I wasn't, you know, really that worried about it. It was resolved. And I thought, but then a little while later, I felt a lump in my breast. And that was certainly alarming. I went to my women's health doctor, my OBGYN, and she felt it and she said, you know, this feels like a cyst to mm-hmm. me. But she said, I want you to go to the breast center and get an ultrasound and you'll go in, they'll do the ultrasound and then they'll drain your cysts right there in the office. And I said, okay, great. So went over to the breast center. Um, ready to get my cyst Mm drained, and you know they laid me down on the table, and the technician did the ultrasound, and she said, "Uh, I need to go call the doctor in." Mm -hmm. And then I had the worst feeling wash over me. I I was like, "Something's wrong. It's got to be cancer." And I actually started crying while I was (laughs) laying there on the table.
2: Oh my! And
1: the doctor came in and said, "It's." Solid. So it's not a cyst, and we're going to do a biopsy and we'd like to do it right now. And I said, Of course, do it right now. So they did the biopsy and, you know, they didn't have the results right away, but I was actually getting ready to go on vacation for 2 weeks and I said well should I cancel my vacation do I need to stay here and they said no by the time the biopsy results are back and we start you know thinking about what other tests you need and a treatment plan you'll be home from your trip and so just just go there's no reason you shouldn't go actually you should go mm-hmm. instead of just you know sitting at home waiting and so I went and then while I was on my vacation I got an email from my doctor and he said, it's triple negative breast cancer.
2: We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
2: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows. From the Nespod studios, Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode.
1: And that's when I, like, my heart just fell through the floor. If you wouldn't
0: mind, for somebody Mm -hmm. who is not familiar with exactly what that means... Can you explain what that triple negative part of that, that term, what does that mean? And what did you realize it meant in that moment when you read those words?
1: With other types of breast cancer, you have hormone receptors, or protein receptors, either estrogen or progesterone, or you have a HER2, which is a protein receptor. And triple negative means that you don't have any of those three receptors. So, in a sense, you're then triple negative. And when you have breast cancer that has hormone or protein receptors, there are treatments available that are beyond. Straight chemotherapy because they can target those receptors. And so there's targeted therapy available. When you have triple negative, it basically means that there's, up until not too long ago, that there wasn't much that could be done other than traditional chemotherapy. So that was one part of it. And then the other part of it is that it's a very aggressive type of cancer, it's known to be the most aggressive type of breast cancer. It's fast moving. That's probably why I suddenly just got a lump out of the blue that was, you know, a pretty big lump. And I had had a mammography not too far before that. And so I knew when I saw those words, I, I knew what that meant. It meant that I was up for a really big challenge.
0: You're married and you have two sons who were, I think you 16 and 18 when you were diagnosed. Is that right? Yes. Yep. And you said in the article that telling your family that you had breast cancer was one of the hardest things that you've ever had to do. How did you break the news and what were their reactions?
1: Well, at first I only told my husband because I didn't want to ruin their vacations and have everybody be worried when there wasn't anything we could even do about it. And we didn't know more about it or what the treatment plan would be. So I I decided to just kind of keep that news to myself until we got back, we got back home and started to do more testing to be able to learn more about the cancer and then figure out a treatment plan. And then that's when my husband and I both together sat down and told our boys, I was really worried about that. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by their resiliency. They were asking good questions. They were offering to help. They weren't, you know, breaking down into tears. They were just hugging me and what can we do to help? And I just thought, wow, I was so nervous about telling them, but they're so much stronger than <laughs> I gave them credit for.
0: That's really amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: They've been nothing but supportive since this happened. And, you know, even though they're both at college now, they still continue to be supportive of me.
0: That's really wonderful. Did you feel, I mean, obviously besides the the lump that you physically felt, did you feel any other symptoms or were you basically feeling you know, like if you hadn't known it was there, you would have just felt pretty normal.
1: Yeah, I was feeling completely normal. In fact, the vacation when I went on after my diagnosis, it was a very active. Uh, we were out in the heat. We were hiking. We were river rafting. I mean, wow. we were it was like a, you know, a pretty active vacation. And I was hiking, you know, several miles a day. And I honestly did not feel sick. Wow.
0: That's so incredible. Like you can just, mm-hmm. I mean, something so major is happening, you know, in your body. Like you said, it's a very aggressive, fast moving disease, and yet you feel fine. You feel nothing at all. Nope. I think you referenced this a little bit earlier, but triple negative breast cancer or the type of breast cancer you have very much affects the type of treatment that will work for you. And you started with immunotherapy. Uh, yep. after your diagnosis, which is a relatively new type of treatment that gets your body's own immune system to recognize and fight cancer cells. Um, and it's, it's not for everyone. Your doctors have to be sure to test your cancer cells and make sure that they have you know the right proteins and characteristics that will let them uh, work with this drug or respond to this drug. But you found out that yours did have those proteins. So tell us about the treatment and how well did it work for you?
1: Well, yes, I was really excited and enthusiastic because I um, had been following immunotherapy, obviously, in my role at WebMD. And it was just a couple of months before my diagnosis that an immunotherapy drug specific to triple negative breast cancer was FDA approved. Wow, And so I was certainly in the first wave of people to start receiving the treatment after it went on the market. And as you mentioned, it was an immune checkpoint inhibitor. So it basically is retraining your immune system to fight the cancer. And you take it along with chemotherapy. It's indicated to be taken along with a certain type of chemotherapy. And I was on that treatment for probably... Mm, about four or five months. And I really was not having any major side effects. I mean, you know, I was having some gastrointestinal <laughs> issues um, and I was fatigued for sure, but it wasn't anything that was inhibiting me from working. And I was working during that entire period when I was being treated mm-hmm. um, until. I have, to, I have I, to say,
0: a lot of most people at WebMD had no idea that you were dealing (laughs) with this diagnosis, everybody, you know, you you appeared as though you were just going about your business.
1: I did. I really did not tell too many people. And I told, you know, some of my direct reports and I told my boss and a few other folks, but I really didn't want it to be widely known that I had cancer because to me, going into work took my mind off of the cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was just nice to be able to go someplace every day and do something and not have to think at all about your cancer.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yeah, you kind of need a something that feels normal, relatively normal.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So after a few months of treatment, working, continuing on with your life, you started to have some unusual symptoms. Tell us what happened.
1: So it started with headaches. I was having a lot of headaches. And at the same time, it was somewhat of a stressful time in my life, but still I'd never experienced the frequency and the intensity of the headaches. And so I talked to my doctor about it, my oncologist, and she said, you know what? Let's do an MRI just to be on the safe side. So we did an MRI, Uh, she came back and she said, it's absolutely clean, which is great news. And she said, I know you're having these headaches, maybe it's related to the immunotherapy. Because one of the possible side effects of immunotherapy is that it can trigger an autoimmune reaction in your body, meaning beyond just fighting cancer cells, it could kind of go into overdrive and start fighting your healthy cells, although that doesn't happen very often. It's a possibility. So they said, maybe you're developing some kind of autoimmune disease. At the same time, I started to lose my vision. So I would get double vision. I would get blurry vision and it came pretty infrequently at first. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I was still traveling and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, um, it wasn't that I couldn't see anymore. It was just, I was getting some blurry vision and one of my eyes was crossing. And, mm. uh, and then I also was having some neuropathy, uh, nerve damage in my right leg um, mm-hmm. that sometimes made it hard for me to stand on it. So they ran a bunch of tests for autoimmune diseases. Uh, Graves' disease is one of the diseases that can cause vision problems. And they came up with nothing. And meanwhile, I was now working at home because of COVID and I was able to, to keep working and just lay down for a few minutes. If my vision was going bad, the doctor fitted me with these prism glasses that helped my eyes stay uncrossed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know, since I was at home, I was able to sit down and take breaks when my foot was acting up, but they still didn't know what was going on. And so then finally they ordered a lumbar puncture, which is also known as a spinal tap. Mm -hmm. And I had the lumbar puncture done. A few days later, my doctor called me and said, you have what's called leptomeningeal disease. And that is a very bad diagnosis. It's when basically the fluid that surrounds your brain and your spine becomes malignant. So I had basically my cancer had spread to my brain and spinal fluid. Wow. And that's why I was having all of those neurological symptoms. And that's why they didn't see it on the MRI. And so, you know, it wasn't the first thing they checked because it's actually pretty rare, Mm -hmm. but if you are diagnosed with it, it's a very poor prognosis you typically have three to four months to live. And so um, that was a huge blow. And the treatment for it is radiation. And so I went into the radiologist and they started me on treatment right away. And I had six weeks of radiation to my brain and spinal cord. Every day I went in five days a week.
0: Every day, radiation therapy every day. My goodness. Yes.
1: Ultimately, it saved my life. Obviously, with the prognosis of three to four months, and that was, you know, over a year ago. And I've had good scans to date, knock on wood. I mean, it's, you know, could always be hiding in there somewhere, but they haven't seen any evidence of that. And it really left me depleted.
0: Yeah. Tell me about how the therapy made you feel. Obviously, it dealt with the malignancy in your brain and spine, but what were some of the other side effects you had?
1: Well, some of it kind of blurs together, to be honest, because I'm not sure at what point it was the cancer that was causing the symptoms or the radiation. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it all became one. And I would go in every day and I would. Lay down on a table, and they would fit me with a mask. Um, it's a big white mask that they have custom fitted for your own protection. And I personally felt like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> because I was gonna say just... that's
0: exactly the image I had in my mind. <laughs> wow,
1: I, that's what I uh, me too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. <laughs> um, and, and so I would go in every single day, and it would take about an hour. The first two days that I went in for the treatment, I had some issues. I had nausea and vomiting, which was definitely problematic. But the worst thing is they started the first radiation and I immediately passed out. Oh gosh. They rushed me over to the ER and they thought I was having a seizure. They called my husband and said, you better come over here. We're not sure she's going to make it. And ultimately they did some tests and they came back and said, you had a massive panic attack. Wow. (laughs) And I had never had a panic attack like that before. And you just knocked you out. You know, it just not, I just passed right out.
0: Wow. Um
1: and so they gave me some anti-anxiety medication the next you know I don't think it had really had a chance to kick in the next day I went in same thing happened <laughs> I oh, passed dear. out again oh. they rushed me to the ER again <laughs> they went through everything and they were like yeah that was just another panic attack. Wow. Um <laughs> and so you know that in itself was pretty frightening but I went back and I was fine after that when I was done with my treatments I had lost most of my vision. Wow. I had lost most of my muscle tone. My vertebrae were cracked. I couldn't walk. I had to be carted around in a wheelchair. You know, they didn't know whether I lost my vision because of the treatment or because of the cancer, but my optic nerves had been severely damaged. And I was having a lot of neuropathy, which causes incredible pain to where I would wake up at night in tears calling 911. It was like just absolute excruciating pain. So I ended up temporarily, hopefully, cognitively disabled from all of the zapping to my brain. Uh, Now, on top of that, I was also uh, on gabapentin, which is for nerve pain. And then I was also on oxycodone, which which is for pain. And so at that point in time, there's a lot that was happening during that period that honestly, I don't even remember. Wow. I was I was out of it.
0: So you mentioned you lost your vision. Um, mm-hmm. You lost a lot of your mobility. Your vertebrae was cracked and you had this yes. neuropathy, this terrible neuropathy. Did these side effects ever?
2: We'll be back after a quick break. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode.
0: Get better, go away. How are you doing with these today?
1: Well, I still have not regained any of my vision, although I've gotten a lot better at adapting to being low vision. I really spent a lot of time trying to rebuild my muscles. I think most people who've ever worked out and then stopped working out know how fast you lose muscle tone. Um, And so I was, you know, as much as I had exercised previously, I was just back to having absolutely no muscle tone. So I did a lot of physical therapy and I, I walked a lot and um, eventually I, I really felt like my leg isn't completely normal still, but I'm able to function a lot better. And then I had a surgery called vertoplasty, which is basically an injection into your spine of a cement type substance that fills in the cracks and splinters. And that helped with my back pain. So, you know, I I overall, uh, you know, slowly started getting much, much better, but the vision loss is the, the biggest symptom that has stayed with me. And, you know, now it's pretty far out to kind of continue to have hope that I'm going to regain that vision. Um, so I'm just kind of hoping that you know, at some point, I would be eligible for a clinical trial. There's some interesting things going on right now in terms of uh, using stem cells or doing an optic nerve transplant. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm keeping an eye on those and (laughs) no pun intended. (laughs) And hopefully, you know, I'll be eligible for something like that at some point.
0: So in terms of adapting to the low vision, there are lots of different assistive devices that you use. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about those?
1: Sure, yeah. I have two that I use quite a bit that work very similarly. One of them is called the Iris Vision and one of them is called Vision Buddy. And essentially if you picture an Oculus headset, it's an actually an Oculus <laughs> headset that's wow. been retrofitted with an Android phone that's been programmed specifically for people with low vision. So you wear this headset and it has intense magnification, lighting, lots of different adjustments. And when I have one of those devices on, I can actually read a text. I can read an email. I cannot do much more than that in terms of reading. Like I wouldn't be able to put together a PowerPoint or do a spreadsheet or, you know, read a book. Um, But it's enough that I can read what I need to read. And then the vision buddy actually projects the television directly into the goggles. And then I have another device called the OrCam. And it's basically a set of glasses that aren't prescription glasses. They're just clear lenses. Although I suppose if you had your own prescription glasses, there's no reason they wouldn't work with the OrCam. They're basically just a prop on your face to mount a camera. And when this camera is on, it can recognize people. So it can tell you somebody's approaching and who it is. And it can also be used, you know, for instance, if you're out at a restaurant and want to see the menu, it can read the menu for you and you have air on. So you're not, you know, broadcasting everything to everyone around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can use it, for instance, in my pantry. I can go into my pantry and point to a can on the shelf and it'll say that's tomato paste. Wow. So that helps me a lot, just getting around the house and doing some basic things. And then I have an app. It's called seeing AI hmm. and it's free. And you basically take your cell phone, turn the app on, which you can do through audio, like, you know, Siri, turn on my, you know, seeing AI app. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, your phone camera's on and you hold the camera over anything you want to read and it reads it for you.
0: That is incredible technology. All of that is is amazing. Wow.
1: And it's like, I use all of them all the time. Like it kind of all fits together to help overall.
0: Wow, that's I'm I'm so glad to hear there's so many different options out there for for low vision folks. That's really impressive.
1: There are, and there's a lot more that are under development. You know, none of them are none of them are, are perfect. The headsets are heavy, and that's you know sometimes can be hard, you know, on on my neck and things like that. But um, they're getting better all the time.
0: That's great. Really exciting stuff. I think you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but all of this health crisis that you were going through, or a lot of it, was unfolding during the early months of the COVID pandemic, when Mm -hmm. there were so many unknowns and so many major concerns about people with cancer having to go to hospitals to get treatment where there were lots of COVID patients. I can't imagine how unbelievably stressful and scary that was for you and your family but what were some of your biggest concerns during that time and how did you address them?
1: COVID was certainly a concern. I had to go into the infusion center in person. And in that case, they allowed my husband to come with me. Most of the time, no one was allowed in the hospital, but with chemotherapy, they actually really want someone there with you in case you start having a reaction to a certain extent. You just have to hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I was concerned. I was obviously immunocompromised. I had a few different issues along the way. I had my port, which is a device that's surgically implanted into you to be able to receive the immunotherapy, became infected and I developed sepsis. I had to again, be rushed to the emergency room, I was getting to be uh, a regular there. Mm -hmm. And I had to be admitted for a few days. And I wasn't allowed to have any visitors. And that was pretty isolating. Um, And then I had to take a pick line home and essentially give myself treatment from home when they were ready to release me. Mm -hmm. And then I developed a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in your lung. And again, I was back at the ER and by myself, and it's kind of scary. It was around midnight and, you Mm -hmm. know, I, they had to, you know, I had to just be dropped off at the door and Mm -hmm. somebody helped me get in and, you know, sit in the emergency room. And, you know, there I sat for probably three or four hours before being admitted. And, It was just difficult. It was difficult not to have someone with me and also not to be able to see around me at the same time. So, that part of COVID was definitely a challenge. However, at the same time, I was home when everybody else was home. (laughs) People were working from home, school was remote. And so in a way, having the virus happen at the same time allowed me to spend a lot more time with my family because they were home with me all day, every day. Mm
0: -hmm. If there is a bright side. Yeah, exactly. That would be be it. (laughs) Well, and you know, everyone is working from home. So it's not like you are conspicuously absent from your job or any other
1: um,
0: social events or parts of your life. So that was probably, maybe that was a little bit helpful as well during that time. I think it was. You wrote in the article that one of the biggest challenges you faced throughout your diagnosis and treatment journey was simply dealing with the healthcare system such that it is in the United States. What were some of the main frustrations or areas of dysfunction that you encountered?
1: I'll tell you, that was the biggest, I would say, shock to me as I went through everything that I went through because I had heard, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you you know, and you hear stories and, you know, you read series in the paper, it's, you know, wow, our healthcare system is fractured. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was just absolutely astounded by how fractured it is. And I felt like the doctors who were treating me, they did an excellent job. At the same time, most of what is happening to you is outside of that treatment and that interaction with your health care provider. And most of it is sitting in waiting rooms, trying to schedule things, having them be misscheduled, waiting for hours because of some workflow challenge, the billing, unbelievable amounts of billing that I would get uh, mm-hmm. and just mounds of it. It was, it was actually like a mountain piling up in my house. Wow. Um, and then, Every uh, mis- every
0: little test, every little procedure. Yes,
1: everything. And then I caught mistakes. I was like, why am I being charged for this? Because I've done it four other times and I haven't been charged for it. Or, you know, I would go through and I would find mistakes and then have to work with my insurance company. It was maybe a miscoding issue or some other issue that takes time and a lot of time sitting on hold <laughs> to, yeah. you know, to resolve and get to the bottom of the whole disability experience has been absolutely horrendous. I actually told the company, I said, I'm on disability because I can't see and I can't work. And you're making this a part-time job for me. Uh, Because they would send so much mail from so many different people and it's all like, you owe this or you have to back pay us for this. And I'm just like, you know, kind of lost in it. And then at the same time, you know, you're dealing with all of those issues, but your life doesn't stop. Like you're still getting your credit card bill and your gas bill. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you're dealing with all of that and other things that you're dealing with in your life. Like for instance, I was helping my son get into college and I had cognitive issues. I was still undergoing treatment. When I was on the pain medication, I was like, I don't even
0: Yeah, know what planet I'm
1: on right now. (laughs) It was just it was just exacerbating. And to be honest, it continues to be. Mm -hmm. And I guess I thought, you know, hey, I have some experience. And you know, I have some support around me. And I know that there are going to be challenges. But I never thought it would be this bad. And in a way, I feel bad complaining about it because I'm like, look, they saved my life. And I'm like complaining that I had to wait in the waiting room all day, but it piles up.
0: That sounds incredibly frustrating.
1: It really was. It was incredibly frustrated and continues to be because there's not an easy fix for it. And I've talked to some different folks because I wanted to understand like how much of this is COVID related. Right. And how much of this is just how it usually is. And everybody I've talked to is like, no, this is how it always is. <laughs> it, it's not unique to COVID. It's not a pandemic thing. It's just, uh, no. it's just the way it is. Oh, God. Yep. Well, I have to ask, how are you doing now? Actually, I'm doing much better now. I've had uh, several scans, PET scans and MRIs, and um, we haven't seen any cancer activity. That's great. Um, And I had to go back on a different... Type of treatment after I received my radiation, we had to stop chemotherapy. During that time, it would be too toxic to do both of them together. And so I was off my chemotherapy for a while, my breast cancer came back. Wow. Um, and so I've had to go back on to a different type of chemotherapy. But fortunately, I'm responding really well to it. And I am not having any debilitating side effects. So at the moment, things are going pretty well. And I really have learned a lot about how to live the low vision lifestyle. (laughs) And I feel like I'm much more comfortable with my situation. It's still difficult because you lose a lot of your autonomy. Uh, Like for instance, I can't even drive. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so you can't run up to the grocery store. It's just, it's like little things like that are still challenging. But at the same time, I figured out so many ways to adapt and use this technology and just really try to keep forward momentum and not let it become my life.
0: I'm so very glad to hear that. We're all certainly rooting for you and hope you continue to do well. And your story is so incredible and it's so inspiring and I wonder if you could share some of the things that helped you keep going even when you were in some of the many dark parts of this journey were there things that really kind of carried you through
1: absolutely my family I could not have gotten through this without them my husband was absolutely and continues to be fantastic caregiver and you know, that's a lot of work. And you hear about caregiver burnout. My kids as well were so wonderful and so helpful and spent so much time with me. And I just knew the whole time, no matter how out of it I was, I want to be here for my family. I want to be with my family. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to lose them. And I don't want them to lose me. I don't want them to have to go through that pain and and that loss. And so that's really what made me hold on. I just always was holding on to that. And then, you know, now that I'm hopefully on the other side of it, I'm really motivated by trying to help people who were in a similar situation that I was in that don't have the support and resources that I had. Do you
0: think that the whole ordeal that you've been through, do you think that made your family stronger in
1: some ways? I do. I think it strengthened my relationship with my family because we were going through this the life challenge together and as a result we were spending so much more time together than we've ever really been able to. I mean, when you've got two working parents and two busy kids with lots of after-school activities and things along those lines, a lot of your relationship, although I didn't necessarily realize it at the time, because I've always had a good relationship with my kids, but a lot of the conversation and the dialogue you have revolves around logistics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where do you need to be tonight? What time should I pick you up? And, you know, uh, what can I help you with in terms of your homework tonight And, and all of that? And you don't ever really spend enough time just really talking and getting to know your kids. And I think our relationship got much stronger. And I think my relationship with my husband got stronger as well. This was the same thing. I mean, I was and continue to be amazed at what an amazing caregiver he is. And it just, it made us a lot closer.
0: I'm curious for someone for whom, you know, your career was such a major part of your life. How did you make the decision that you would stop working? How did you know that it was time to do that?
1: I was really hoping to be able to go back to work. And my hopes all rested around my vision coming back. The doctors told me it's very possible that it's going to come back. The optic nerve heals itself. And, you know, at a certain point in time, I realized it's not happening anytime soon. And I just knew I wasn't going to be able to do my job without my vision. And so I said, it's time for me to go and just focus on healing. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to leave. I didn't want the stress of trying to keep up. I couldn't have kept up. I really needed to focus on rebuilding my body, getting my life back together, figuring out like how I'm going (laughs) to function, just on a day to day basis, like making breakfast, and I just knew I shouldn't dive back in and and try to navigate a, a busy workplace with very limited vision. I mean, maybe at some point, I'll be proficient enough with everything I'm doing that I'll be able to work. But I know right now I'm not.
0: What did it take mentally or emotionally for you to sort of let that go?
1: It was difficult. I've always had a job since the time I turned 16. till now I never (laughs) had not worked and uh, it was just what I did. And so discontinuing that really caused me to do a total reset. I'm still wired to be the type of person who always wants to get things done and always has, you know, Goals and next steps, and the the list of things you want to accomplish, and go 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 all the time, and taking a minute to slow down and just appreciate a nice day, sitting out on my patio with the sun shining, you know, listening to a piece of music, just sitting back and relaxing is just something I had never done, and. I think it was the right decision, but it was really hard. It was really hard to like slow down all those instincts to be doing something all the time and being productive. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think I'm grappling with it a lot better now over time. Right. But I still miss working. I'm, I liked what I did and I liked the people that I worked with. And so I miss I it. Know.
0: We miss you too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <We> do. <laughs> Our fingers are
0: crossed that maybe we can. Have you back with us sometime, Sud? <laughs> um, I hope so. Well, even though I, I just asked you about slowing down and stopping to take care of yourself, but I know you're already thinking that way. So I have to ask what's next for you. <laughs> what are some of those, <laughs> if you have any any of the, the goals or is the goal just kind of focusing on yourself for right now?
1: Uh, no, I'm actually thinking about a couple of different things. One of them is... I would be really interested in maybe writing a book because I would like to think about all of those challenges and talk to people who are looking at solutions and then also helping people prep for what resources are out there and what to kind of think about if you do if you do get sick. And so that's one thought that I have. I'm also this is just kind of a a seed at this point, but I think about starting a nonprofit organization that would provide the support that I mentioned and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, help people make phone calls and delve through the morass of the bureaucracy Right. while they're going through something like this. And um, I think that that would be Really helpful for people, just like getting a meal delivered or (laughs) Mm -hmm. getting a ride, like having somebody to help you through all this.
0: Right. And you have to be
1: tenacious.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And have the energy to and the focus
1: to to do something like that. Exactly. So I think about that too.
0: Right. My final question for you. The title of your piece is How Breast Cancer Changed My Life and Me. How would you say it's changed you?
1: I think the biggest change has been that I have had to begin living my life in a completely different way than I've ever lived it before. So where I've always been, you know, every minute of my day is occupied, whether being a student or being a mom, being a working mom, and just being caught up in the frenetic lives we all live and going from that to being on disability and being at home (laughs) Um, and logistically that is a very big change but mentally and psychologically it's been a, a bigger a bigger change and it's been really challenging to come to a place where I've come to terms with that and I'm still trying to figure out what's next and how can I still be a productive member of society and keep my brain active despite everything that has happened to me. So that's definitely been one of the biggest changes. And then the other one is, I'm so grateful to be alive. (laughs) Mm. And I'm so grateful for the relationships that I have. And it's not that I didn't appreciate them before, but I, I didn't appreciate them at the level that I do now, and understand quite how important they are just to see how many of my friends and family did so much for me. And it was just so touching. I just feel closer to everybody now.
0: Right. Well, the piece is how breast cancer changed my life and me. Christy Hamam. thank you so much for sharing this incredible story with us. And uh, we wish you all the best in the future.
1: Thank you, Carrie. Same to you. This will conclude the episode.